Have you ever felt stuck in life? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you have honestly said, I don't know if I can see a way through this. I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of this. Where you feel completely overwhelmed, where you feel completely outnumbered, maybe in a family situation, maybe in a relationship or a marriage situation, maybe in your finances, maybe in work, maybe just mentally with anxiety, where you've been in a place where you've just said, I actually, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I I have been there. I have been in those places just probably a number of times in my life where I've honestly looked at my reserves and my energy and my resources and I've looked at how I'm feeling and the obstacles and the stuff going on around me and I've, I've just said, God, I actually, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. That's how God's people feel in Exodus 14 that we're going to be looking at. We have seen how God brings them out of slavery in Egypt, how he delivers them from the oppression and bondage of 400 years of slavery and he wants to bring them into the promised land but it says he takes them the long way around because there's a time of preparation. There's something he wants to do in them before he does something through them. And it doesn't make sense. And, you know, we've just sang his ways are higher than our own. And sometimes God won't make sense to you. Sometimes as you think about it, you'd go, God, the way you're doing it is not the way I would do it. And he would say, yes, but I'm God and you're not. Like, like his timing doesn't match ours. His way doesn't match ours. His method doesn't match ours. And you're t- torn because you, you know rationally what you think's the best way. And then there's his way. And in those moments, we have to choose, do I trust him? Do we actually believe what we have sang? I I trust you because your ways are higher than my own. And that's especially difficult when we're in that place of transition that I've talked about, where you've left something or someone or something somewhere behind, and God's moving you forward, but you're not sure what that looks like or how to move forward. You're in in, in the in-between. And we're going to see that again this week, that when faced with uncertainty and unpredictability, when faced with not knowing what's ahead, our tendency is always to go back to what we know. It's always to regress back, to retreat back to the comfortable and the familiar. There's just something in our hearts that we like predictability. We like to know what the day is going to bring. And so we're going to see that again this week. But God sets his people free. And we saw last week, Pharaoh has a change of heart. And I was thinking a little bit about that this week. That just a day or two before this, Pharaoh was almost begging them to go. And now he's chasing after them with 600 chariots to come back. Why? Like what has gone on in Pharaoh's heart that within a matter of days he's had such a change of heart? And I began to think of how sometimes we all know people in life who when they face a crisis, when they face a loss, when they face a challenge, when they face a difficulty, when they face some huge monumental event in their life or when they have to face the consequences of their actions, they seem to make some big change. They seem to have some big change of heart. And you're like, that's amazing. You know, it seems like they're a different person. But actually, once the emotion of that moment passes or once the consequences of that thing pass, they go right back to where they were again. And they're exactly the same as they were because Their behavior was modified in that moment, but Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about having your heart of stone turned to a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel put it. That Christianity is not about changing your behavior on the outside. It's about what God does on the inside of you by his spirit that then begins to work itself out. 
And in a country that's always been about religion and good living, good living is not the gospel. Born again by the Holy Spirit is the gospel. Good living gets you nowhere apart from hell, okay? It might make you the nicest person in hell, but, uh, but the gospel is not about good living. The gospel is about depending fully on Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit coming inside you, and you beginning to change from the inside out. And so Pharaoh's had a change of heart, but it is very short-lived. And so 600 chariots go after the Israelites. They're just beginning to enjoy freedom when they hear the hoofbeats behind them. And sometimes that's all it takes. You don't even have to see the enemy. You just have to hear the hoofbeats, the, the whisper of the enemy. Those things that we've left behind from the past, those habits, those people, those addictions even, those, those things that we've left behind, that we're, we go, we're finally free. And then suddenly you hear the clickety-click behind you. And your heart sinks and you're overwhelmed and all that fear comes flooding back. The direction God has led them has brought them to a place where actually geographically there's mountains on either side of them. There's the Red Sea in front of them and now they have the Egyptians coming behind them. It's one of those places where you would say, God, I can't see a way through this. I can't see any way out of this. It's a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac. And there seems to be no way through. Why would God do this? Why would God deliberately lead them into a dead end? I think the main reason was that they would learn to trust him. We're going to see that. That they would come to stop relying on themselves. And I I often say this, that when when God is all you have, it's saying that you realize that God is all you need. But sometimes we have to get to the end of ourselves. Often our most powerful prayers are our most desperate prayers. Because we've come to the end of ourselves and we realize that, God, if you don't come through here, I'm sunk. I'm done. So he's trying to teach them to trust him. He's also wanting to wipe out their enemies. He says that. And we're going to see that next week. That actually, even if they were to get away, there's nothing to say they won't always be spending their lives looking over their shoulder. And so God doesn't want them to do that. He wants them to walk forward. And so he wants to destroy their enemies. And ultimately, he says, I want to bring glory to myself. God is always concerned about his glory, not in an egotistical way, but he's God and he deserves glory from his people. And so we look at verse 10 with me. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, but they only looked up far enough to see the enemy. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And so they panic. They were marching out boldly just a few minutes before, dressed for battle, and now they're panicking. And they immediately turned to Moses, and look at what we read in verses 11 and 12. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? They're being a bit sarcastic here. I mean, what's Egypt famous for? The pyramids? Like, Egypt's full of graves. Uh, They're just trying to be a bit sarcastic here but it's not going down well. Uh, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? I can't find anywhere in the text that they ever said, leave us alone. It's amazing how when you're panic, you start making stuff up about other people. Um, It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Let me just say a couple of things here. First thing is this, what has Moses done to deserve this? Like really, Moses wasn't even a slave. Moses was living in the desert before this. Moses was under no obligation to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses wasn't in slavery. He wasn't getting any direct benefit. It was only going to cost him. 
And yet they start to turn on him. They start to turn on the leader. They start to turn on the one who only tried to do good. You know, there's one thing to be criticized when you've actually done something wrong. There's another thing to be criticized when you've only ever tried to do the right thing. When you've tried to make things right, when you've worked hard, when you've been a faithful spouse, when you've been a faithful in your job, when you've, when you've tried to be the best friend you can be and you're misunderstood and people talk about you and people slander you and people malign you and people say all sorts of gossip about you and they say all sorts of things about you. You know, there's one thing to be maligned and, and criticized because you've done wrong, but when you've only ever tried to do the right thing, it's a completely different matter. It's one thing to have your enemies turn on you when your own team start turning on you. That starts to really hurt. And even at the moment as we navigate through and out of this season of coronavirus and all of that, you know, it's really easy to criticize, isn't it? I found it. It's really easy to watch certain politicians on TV. I mean, they, they, some of them make it really easy for us to criticize. I mean, just, let's just be honest. Some of them you're like, seriously, the, the gall on you like. Uh, but it's really easy to, to criticize it's really easy to look at leaders around us and criticize. It's really easy even in church to look around at church, different church leaders and criticize. You know why we criticize? Because they're not doing things exactly how we would do it. Do you know why? Because they don't have the responsibility you have. <laughs> and you don't have the responsibility they have. It's really easy to criticize when you're not the one carrying the weight. And I've had to teach myself, because I'm looking at some churches at the moment and I'm going, for goodness sake, just reopen, you know? Like... One church I know is praying about reopening. I'm like, read Hebrews, let us not forsake meeting together. There's sometimes when, you know, like, and I find this critical spirit coming up in me and just going, you're just being lazy here. Uh, and then God's saying, but actually, you don't know what's going on with them. You don't know what's going on in their congregation. You don't know. And, and, and so what I would simply say is, when we find that critical spirit, and it's really easy at a time, and when we get anxious, and when we're insecure, and when we're afraid, and we can't see a way forward, the tendency is to turn on people around us. Sometimes it's the people closest to us. Sometimes it's the people who are most prominent and visible, and that's the leaders. And I would say when that critical spirit rises up, try to pull back, and this is Craig preaching to Craig here, okay? Try to pull back and go, I don't have their responsibility, nor would I want to have their responsibility. So why don't I just in this moment say, Lord, help them to make the right decision. So they turn on Moses even though he had done nothing wrong. The other thing is this, that, and I mentioned it last week, how quickly they have forgotten what God has just done for them. I mean, they've literally just come out of Egypt and they've forgotten about the locusts and the frogs and the flies and the boils and the hailstones and the darkness and the, the death of the firstborn. They have forgotten about all the miraculous things God has just done in their past. And immediately, all the faith deposits that they had back there now go into deficit again as soon as they face any obstacle or enemy or opposition. And that happens to us, doesn't it? That, 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 that no matter how incredible God has been, and every person in this room can look back at moments where you go, God you brought me through that place, that tight spot, that corner, that way, but I didn't see a way. You brought me through that heartache, that loss, that depression, that anxiety, that debt. And then a month, a year, five years later, we're in a similar spot, and we completely panic. We completely stop trusting God. I mean, last week I shared about how God had brought us out of Dublin into the unknown. He brought us to the Causeway Coast, and 
And that really, for us, a really powerful story about how God prepared the way. How he, even before we left here to go on sabbatical, he had prepared a place for us on the other side. I mean, you would think after that I would be, you know, like the Mr. T of faith. You know what I mean? That, that I would be full of faith. That I would be Mr. You know, but, but a month later I found myself struggling again. I mentioned, I can't remember if it was one, this service, of the, that as we started our sabbatical at that time, on the way between Dublin and, and the north coast, smoke started coming out of the car and the clutch had gone. Uh, we had to get a tow truck and rent a car and, and get it fixed. And that cost over £1,000. When you get those £1,000 bills you aren't expecting, they make a dent. Unless, if, if they don't make a dent for you, please come and see me afterwards. Okay? I want to see how much you're tithing. Um, but, uh, but they make a dent. And, and so we had those unexpected bills. And so we get... Within a month, even though we were now working, Becky and I were basically doing a full-time job between us, but that full-time salary was half of what one of us would, had been earning in Dublin. In other words, we were down to a quarter of what we'd been earning four months before. And when you get an unexpected bill of £1,000, that makes a dent in your salary. And again, I started to panic a bit. You, I mean, this is a month after God has opened a door for us. I start to stress, the anxiety starting to rise. I'm looking at my bank balance 17 times a day, and I'm going, Lord, I don't know where this is going to come from. And I'm praying about it, but actually most of my prayers are just complaining and worrying out loud. And I'm really going, God, I trust you, but, I trust you, but, I trust you, but, you need to do something here. And, I, you know, I'll never forget, it was, I think it was around the middle of October, it was a Friday night about nine o'clock and my, my phone, a message came through on my phone from somebody who had been part of, a, part of the church in Lurgan, which I had left six, five, six years before that, who I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And the message just said, Craig, can you send me your bank details? <laughs> I thought it was a Nigerian scammer for a minute. <laughs> um, but I actually just wrote back, if you're looking at anything, there's nothing there. And, uh, and, and I just, I sent, I sent this guy my bank details. And uh, within 15 minutes, he had put £500 on my, my account. Like, that guy's never given me a penny in his life before or since. But I can just imagine this guy sitting at home in Warrington on a Friday night, watching TV with his family, and the Holy Spirit says, you need to send Craig £500. Like, what would your response be? I'd be like, eh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but honestly, like, five, just randomly £500 came from this guy I hadn't seen. That's a really good story. And that would be really good if that was it. Two days later, Sunday morning, I'm walking out of church and another businessman who I, I barely knew stopped me at the door, hands me an envelope and says, here you go, the Lord told me to give you this. I get home and there's another £500 in it. <laughs> the £1,000 that I had to pay, God covered in the weekend. I mean, like seriously, how, like, how do you explain that? Like two random people who I don't have a much of a relationship with in the space of two days the Holy Spirit speaks to them the exact same amount to randomly give to us. Yeah. I mean, God is good. He, he sees, I said last week that even though he doesn't tell us all the details, God does. God is big on the details. God knew exactly what, what we needed. And for the rest of that year, we were able to scrape through. But at that moment, what we needed was a thousand pounds. And through two people, God gave us a thousand pounds. But, you know, how quickly we forget God's faithfulness. How quickly we forget his provision and protection in the past. Look at what the Israelites said to Moses, verse 12. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Really? Like, really? Were things that good back in Egypt? 
where you were abused and mistreated, where you were slaves, where you were oppressed. How quickly you forget how bad things were back there. And don't we do that? I've seen girls come out of really abusive relationships. And for a while, they're really glad to get free. And then six months later, they're back with that. I was going to use a bad word there. That guy again. (laughs) And you're like, seriously, why would you go back there? And it was because the uncertainty of life without them was harder than the abuse with them. I've seen people get out of all sorts of addictions, get out of all sorts of things in life that they prayed for God to take them out of. But once he takes them out of it, as soon as pressure comes, as soon as discomfort comes, they start to drift back. I mean, they're really glamorized Egypt a wee bit here. I mean, they were slaves. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. And it would actually take 40 more years for that to happen. You know, it's a bit like, I don't know why this example came into me, and some of you will know what I'm talking about, and some of you will have no idea. You remember that ex-girlfriend or boyfriend in school that was an ex, but they weren't really an ex, but they were still an ex? There used to be some odd on TV. I was trying to remember. This is how it where Sometimes ex-girlfriends are more than ex-girlfriends, but they're still ex-girlfriends. I don't know. Just some random ad came on TV years ago that said that. And you know what I mean? They were an ex, but you kind of kept them around in case you were bored or you didn't meet somebody else. And, 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 and you tended to drift back to them when, when circumstances weren't good. You know, kind of, we kind of sometimes have that in different parts of our lives. We let go. But we keep an attachment there just in case. We let go, but we keep their phone number. We let go, but we send them the odd message every now and again just to see how they're doing. We let go, but we always keep the door open so we can have a way back. You know what my theory is this? If you had a good reason to leave, you probably have very little reason to go back. (laughs) If you had a good reason to leave there in the first place, you have probably very little reason to ever go back. Look at how Moses answers them. Verses 13 to 14. Do not be afraid, first of all. He says, that's all you need to hear when you're scared, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Thank you, that has really helped. Um, Look at what he says next. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to stay still. Other translations say, stay calm. Stay silent, or as the King James would say, shutteth upeth. Um, I don't know if that's what it says or not, but I like that. The reality is Moses has no idea what's going to go on here. You know, Moses has no more clue than the rest of them. As leaders, sometimes we pretend that we don't. Sometimes I have no more clue than you do, but we've got to pretend we do, okay? That's just the reality of leadership. But look at what happens next. I love what, he says, stand firm, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. In other words, there's absolutely nothing you can do right now apart from trust God. There's nothing you can do right now apart from completely and utterly and totally and absolutely 100% depend on God. It's either he comes through or you're sunk. That's the reality right now. But if you stand still, because what do we do in those situations? We panic. And what do we, when we panic, we start flustering and we move from person and we go to person to person and we start talking about it and we start, and, and, you know, and telling everybody our problems and running around and fight or flight comes in and, and God just says, stand still. Shut up, watch what I do here. You know, there's times when we do have to fight battles, but this isn't one of them. Sometimes we just need to stand still and shut up and let the Lord fight for us. There's times when we need to speak up and there's times when we need to be quiet. 
If you've ever been misunderstood, if you've ever had people say lies about you, if you've ever had people spread false allegations about you, everything within you wants to defend yourself. Everything within you wants to take an ad out in the paper and tell everybody the truth about that person. Everything within you wants to start maligning them and tell, make sure everybody knows that you're the goody and they're the body. And you know, there's sometimes you do need to speak up against injustice. And there's times when you do need to defend your reputation. But there's other times when God will say, stand still and shut up and let me vindicate you. I have been there a number of times. And there's nothing more horrible than you knowing that other people are thinking the wrong things about you when you've only tried to do that. And your whole, your, every human desire within you wants to defend yourself. And there's been times when God has just said, Craig, and he said it to you, just shush, shush. Let me fight this one for you. I will vindicate you. And he has always come through in those moments. And he has done a much better job in vindicating me than I would ever have done. Look at verse 15 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, and we're going to finish actually in this verse today. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Egyptians to move on. In other words, what God says is this. Moses, you're praying to me right now. This is not a time to pray. This is a time to move. As Christians, we always think it's the right time to pray. And prayer is really good, and prayer is really important. And in this church, we place a really high priority on prayer. But sometimes, you know what I have found? Prayer can become an excuse for procrastination and passivity. That we're praying about something, and we're praying about it, and we're praying about it, and God is saying, get off your blessed assurance and actually get moving. It's time to get moving. It's time to stop praying, and it's time to start moving. Some of us need to stop praying about things that God has already told us what to do. Our prayer is simply an excuse for inactivity. Our prayer is even an excuse for disobedience. Our prayer is super spiritualizing what we don't want to do and thinking, I'll just pray about it more. Lord, I just I need another angel river dancing on the duvet before I do this. I need another, you know, uh, and you're laying out 67 fleeces on the floor. And, and, and like God's like, you know what? I've given you all I'm going to give you. Stop praying. Start moving. Stop praying. Start moving. Stop praying. Start moving. I'm writing a book at the minute, and and uh, I find writing really hard. I'm writing uh, my third book. It's called I Hear Yahweh, but hearing the voice of God. And I write two chapters a week. And you know, there's so many mornings I get up and I'm sitting at seven o'clock with my laptop on, oh, and I'm going, I have nothing. Like they call it writer's block. I don't care what you call it. Where I just look at this and I go, I have no idea what to write. And the temptation in that moment is to close the laptop and to start listening to more talks on the subject, to start reading more books, to start praying more. And you know what I have found? That the only thing I can do in that moment is to start typing. Anything. Even if it's complete rubbish, start typing. Same with my sermons. Some of you are like, we know that. Um, there's many weeks, on a th- I'll study during the week, but I'll come to Thursday and I'll be like, God, I just, I have not, and I don't want it, I hate typing first, I just don't, and you know what, you just start typing, you start typing, you get moving, and it's amazing how once you get moving, things start to flow, it's inertia, it's momentum, once you start 
things start to flow. But if you sit there doing nothing, nothing ever happens. There's some things in our lives that we're looking at right now and we're going, God, if the circumstances are perfect, if, if I'm, and God's going, you just need to start moving. You just need to start doing what I've told you to do. You don't need to pray anymore about this. You don't need to, 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 to have any more uh, fleeces. You don't need to have any more signs. You know, God says, stop stressing about your enemies. I'll take care of them. You just start moving. Stop, stop praying about the opposition. I'll take care of them. You just need to start moving. You know, Hannah, our youth and children's pastor here, broke her leg, her ankle, what, probably eight weeks ago now. She's now walking on it. Every step is painful. I'm sure every bit of her wants to grab the crutches again. <laughs> every bit of her wants to take the weight off that ankle. But sometimes you have to walk on a painful ankle. Why? Because it won't be strengthened unless you walk on it. It's really easy to step back and go, when the pain goes, I'll move forward. And God would say, no, it's as you move forward in the pain that the pain will go. It's as you take those steps of faith and obedience that I have told you to take that actually the pain will go. It's as you do what I have told you to do, even if it's with a limp, that I will bring you through this. It's impossible to to steer a stationary car. Just get moving and then you can make the turns that God wants you to make. And the reality is that not everybody is in the same place and not everyone's at the same pace. As these two million people came out of Egypt, think about it, there were women with newborn babies. There were 12-year-olds, there were 18-year-olds, there were 35-year-olds, there were elderly there. Not everybody was in the same place. And not everybody was able to move at the same pace. I'm sure some of the kids were trying to run ahead. I'm sure some of the older ones were maybe lagging slightly behind. Not everyone's in the same place at the same pace, but here's the thing. They were all moving forward. And in this whole situation right now, and in our lives right now, we're all going to be in different places, and we're all going to go at different paces. And God understands that, but we can all move forward. Me moving forward might mean something different to you moving forward. But as long as we're moving forward, we can go forward into what God has for us. Faith always takes you forward. Nowhere in the Bible does God take his people backwards. The only time you look backwards is to remember God's goodness in your past to propel you forward. Apart from that, keep facing forward. There are some things that God has been trying to set you free from, but he needs your participation. He can't free you from something back there that you keep trying to go back to when he keeps trying to move you forward. And so even if you don't have all the answers, you need to get moving. Even if you're unsure, even if there's uncertainty, even if things are unpredictable or uncomfortable, you simply need to get moving. Even if it's hard, keep on moving. Even if it's painful, keep on moving. Even if you're limping, keep on moving. Even if the conditions are far from perfect, keep on moving. Even if there's attack and affliction and adversities and adversaries, keep on moving. You will have hurts, you will have betrayals, you will have disappointments, you will have losses. Keep on moving. Even if you're weary, even if you're discouraged, even if you're disappointed, even if you're afraid, keep on moving. Sometimes you will run, sometimes you will walk, sometimes you will crawl, sometimes you will have tears in your eyes, sometimes you will not know how you're going to get through. But keep on moving. Have you ever been in a place where you don't know what to do? Have you ever been in a place where you don't know how you're going to get through? You know how you do it? You keep on moving. You keep on moving. You do the last thing God has told you to do and you keep on moving. You keep on moving. God never promises 100% guarantees. God never gives us a risk-free option. God never says, if you obey me, everything's going to turn out perfect and you're going to have a pain-free life. No. God says, obey me, keep on moving, 
and trust me. Stand still and watch what I'm going to do. This is a time to keep on moving forward because I am going before you and as we're going to see next week, he goes behind us and he's the one who will take us through. So let's keep on moving. I want to finish with a story. heard a story recently about the biggest ultra marathon in the world in Australia that's run from Sydney to Melbourne. Normally, only athletes in their 20s at the peak of their performance take place in, the, in this marathon. It's a 544-mile race. In 1983, a 61-year-old sheep farmer from Australia called Cliff Young decided to enter the race. He turned up in his muddy welly boots and a raincoat and signed up for the marathon, 544 miles. Everyone laughed at him. They told him he was too old, he hadn't trained, he wasn't in good enough shape, he didn't have the right clothing. But Cliff Young said this, he said, I think I can do this. They said, what do you mean? He says, well, I come from a a huge 2,000 acre farm, we've got 2,000 sheep, and my parents didn't have enough money for tractors and horses. And so when it was time to round up the sheep, he says, I would go out for three days and round them all up. I wouldn't sleep until I'd got them all. So I think I can run this race. Everybody still mocked him and made fun of him but they couldn't keep him from signing up. The morning of the race came and Cliff Young showed up wearing the first pair of running shoes he'd ever owned. Holes cut in his tracky bottoms for uh, ventilation. There is a photo. Put the photo on the screen there, Ma. That's him. Okay. And he left his false teeth at home so they wouldn't be rattling as he ran. True story. The marathon begins and he starts running. Now, running is not really the right word. It was more of a shuffle because he had only ever been used to running in welly boots. So it was called the Cliff Young Shuffle is what it became known as. He started shuffling. But what he didn't know was that the runners would run for 18 hours, they would sleep for six hours and then they would run again and it would take a week to be completed. Nobody told him that. Cliff Young wasn't told that you were meant to sleep. And so when they took off, he was so far behind that by the time they all reached the rest place and they were all asleep, there was nobody there. So he just kept on running. He just thought, you just keep on running. And what happened was that Cliff Young didn't sleep for five days and he ended up winning the race, shattering all previous records by more than two days. When he got to the end, you can imagine the media frenzy. They were all interviewing him. One of the journalists asked him, Cliff, how did you do it? How did you run 544 miles in five days? How did you beat all the other superior competitors? And he just looked at them and he says... I just didn't stop. I just kept on going. (laughs) I just didn't stop. I just kept on going. How do you keep following Jesus? You don't stop. You just keep on going. Whatever opposition, whatever obstacles, whatever disappointments, whatever discouragements, whatever hurt, whatever heartache, whatever losses come your way, no matter how often you fall, don't stop. Keep on going. No matter how often you fail, don't stop. Keep on going. You might be walking. You might be limping. You might be crawling. But no matter what comes against you, keep on moving. For the Lord goes before you. The Lord is behind you. And the Lord is the one who is able to bring you 